Welcome to Conversations with Big Rich. This is an interview-style podcast. Those interviews are all involved in the off-road industry. Being involved, like all of my guests are, is a lifestyle, not just a job. I talk to competitive teams, racers, rock crawlers, business owners, employees, media and private park owners, men and women who have found their way into this exciting and addictive lifestyle. We discuss their personal history, struggles, successes, and reboots. We dive into what drives them to stay active and off-road. We all hope to shed some light on how to find a path into this world we live and love and call off-road. Whether you're crawling the Red Rocks of Moab or hauling your toys to the trail, Maxxis has the tires you can trust for performance and durability. Four wheels or two. Maxxis tires are the choice of champions because they know that whether for work or play, for fun or competition, Maxxis tires deliver. Choose Maxxis. Tread victoriously. If you still love the idea of a printed magazine, Something to save and read at any time. Forlow Magazine is a magazine for you. Forlow cannot be found in a storefront or on a bookshelf, but you can have it delivered to your home or place of business. Visit ForlowMagazine.com to order your subscription today. On today's episode of Conversations with Big Rich, we have Tom Yash. Tom has been in the industry for quite a while. We'll find out exactly how long, but I met Tom I believe the first time, sometime back in the mid-2000s when he was working for JKS, I believe. So, Tom, thank you very much for coming on board and talking about your history, and it's great to have you on here. Thank you, Rich. Thanks for having me. So, let's jump right in, and uh, you know, where were you born and raised? Uh, I was actually born in Youngstown, Ohio. Uh, Pretty sad city, so sad. Springsteen wrote a song about it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> grew up in the area, basically have lived in uh, Lake Milton for most of my life, but bounced around, uh, went to college in Athens, Ohio, lived in Nebraska, Boston, New York. So uh, been a little bit everywhere, and for about five years, I lived on the road. Well, you know, for me, as a San Francisco 49er fan, since I can remember first understanding what football was. Oh, yeah. D. Bartolo owning the 49ers was like the greatest thing ever. Um, did a great job, and he's from Youngstown. Yeah, the DeBartlos, yeah. They're still got the uh, the 49ers logo on the side of their building here. Excellent. Excellent. So then primarily, where were you? Where did you go to school and, and stuff? Was it Youngstown or? No, yeah, I grew into Jackson Milton. It was a real small town, so – I think we have a total of two stoplights in our town. Uh, graduating class is about 50 people. Um, and that was the biggest in, I think, 10, 10 years was my graduating class. Uh, and then right after that, I uh, went to college at Ohio University, where I think my freshman class was, you know, over uh, 1,400 people or something like that. So it was a pretty big uh, jump in a different direction. It was uh, a lot of fun, though. So when you were in in high school, um, the question I got to ask: Were you studious, athletic, or did your own thing? Yes, I. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, so I, I was I, I was a problem child probably up until about 
sixth grade and then i had one teacher call me a hammerhead which it stuck with me and i was like i'm not dumb come on and after that i you know applied myself more and actually just paid attention in class and realized if you did that you get good grades so i uh, did well with that i was you know my senior class student council president i started the golf team um you know my parents unfortunately got stuck with doing football baseball wrestling track and eventually golf so uh, there wasn't a, a free moment of space to get a, a breath of air in anywhere. <laughs> and I know you have a brother because you raced with him, and we'll get into that. Is he older or younger? Older, one year older. He's my co-driver, yeah. Okay. And uh, was that, that town, if it's that small, that must have been fairly rural? Is that correct? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, we our football team would diminish – once the students got old enough that the parents wanted them to come back and work on the farm. So like up until about sixth grade, we were dynamite. We would beat everybody around. And then seventh and eighth grade, all of those farmers would have to go back and, you know, work on their farms and we'd lose all that muscle. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yep. That, that happens. And as a kid riding bikes, motorcycles, what was your, uh, what was your thing for outdoors? I was just, just that, like, so we were, you know, bikes was a way of life. We, we lived so far away from everybody else that you'd have to ride a bike to go see the neighbor. And that was a good pedal. So, you know, there was times where you'd, you know, be riding five miles just to go see a friend. Then you'd have to ride five miles back and you didn't have a cell phone. And thankfully, you know, our parents weren't hovering at that point. So we were allowed to uh, go out and explore and, you know, I grew up next to a golf course, so we were always causing havoc there and looking for golf balls and being chaotic there. Um, but yeah, eventually, you know, you grow up and you buy some bigger toys. I, uh, I think I was 14 when I bought my three-wheeler, uh, ATC 350X. So I bought the the biggest, fastest three-wheeler I could find that, you know, they ever made. And I just remember like my mom crying and, you know, having to promise them I'd get a helmet and, yeah, it was just chaos after that ever, you know, ever <laughs> since. And basically the next year I was starting to buy Jeeps and cars and everything else. And it just snowballed to where I'm at right now. And so while you were in school or did this happen at home, did you, uh, how'd you gain mechanical aptitude? I was a challenge. Uh, so both, uh, my grandparents, mother's side, father's side were mechanics. Uh, one worked for, um, a local bakery here, Schwabel's Bakery, uh, doing fleet maintenance there. My other grandfather uh, did fleet maintenance for Holly Soda Pop, um, which is you know more regional here. And my father, growing up, saw what you know his father went through, and my mother's father, and he's like, I don't want my kids to be mechanics. So he really wouldn't show us much, but like the absolute basics. It was you know you get oil change and you you know, hold a flashlight maybe once in a while. <laughs> but uh, when I got into, uh, when I got into high school, we had, once again, like you said, it was a rural area. So we had uh, the FFA program and our FFA program also was uh, a welding shop. So immediately I was drawn to that and I spent, you know, as much time as I could doing that while working at the golf course that was right down the road that I used to get in trouble at. So couple that with my neighbors being farmers and them needing help you know I, it, it's the joke that you know when you run into people from rural towns 
it's like, oh, what age did you start driving? And it's like 13, 12, 11. And it was the same thing. You know, I'd go over to my neighbor's house when he would get stuck, hop on his tractor, go down to the field, pull him out. And he used to joke, you know, uh, I was a chauffeur, you know, as a 60 year old man and I'm driving around in his truck in town and like the neighbors are freaking out and he's like, no, no, he's, you know, he's a good kid, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, unfortunately for my father and, uh, family, you know, we, we fell right into the trap of mechanics and automotive and, you know, if it made noise and went fast, we were trying to (laughs) to crawl on it. So you worked it at a golf course from from what age? Um, I believe I started when I was 12, 12. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, what did you do at the golf course? It was grunt labor at first. So, you know, pushing around a lawnmower, uh, weed whacking, um, emptying trash cans. So they put me on a golf cart and that was, you know, the happiest day of my life. (laughs) (laughs) And then, you know, within a few years, I remember the one day, uh, the boss came over and he's like, who knows how to drive stick or standard? And I was like, and I raised my hand and nobody else did. I'm working with guys that are like 20, 30 years old. And I'm the only one that knew how to drive stick. And I'm like, he's like, are you serious? And I'm like, I can run the loader too. He's like, I'm like, if you want, I'll just drive the dump truck up here, fill it up. And ever since then, after that day, I didn't have to do nearly as much grunt labor and it was a lot easier. <laughs> okay. See all you, all you young guys that are and women out there that are listening that uh, you need to learn how to drive a stick. Oh, it, it, it 100% paid off. I was the little kid in the cab listening to the radio, working the tilt bed while they were in the back, you know, shoveling after we were doing some uh, some some tar and scratch. So that made my summer way better. <laughs> That's awesome. So working at a golf course, was it like Caddyshack? <sighs> yes, 100%. They're like the you know, the, the 19th hole was the place to be after work. So you'd get into work at five 30. You typically would work till, you know, around noon or so. And then you'd basically sit there and wait for a group to go out golfing with, and then you'd start gambling and the drinks would come out and, uh, it was just, and then I would basically go home to get something to eat, come back, do the watering, and then, you know, go home and fall asleep and repeat. And so that allowed a job like that allowed you to to be able to afford the the three wheeler and then getting oh, yeah, into trucks yeah. and jeeps and stuff. Yeah, and it afforded a lot of the other chaos, and that, and that's where like a lot of the mechanical abilities and understanding actually spawned from too. So the owner knew that I kind of enjoyed that, and when you know golf carts would break, you know he would show me some things and teach us, and eventually I started becoming like the the backup uh, to help fix and repair a lot of the golf carts, you know. And eventually I bought my own golf cart because I was golfing entirely too much. You know, 36 holes a day was normal. And, you know, having a lift kit, tires, wheels, stereo, all of that on the golf cart, you know, being this little punk kid, you know, it was pretty fun. <laughs> as wow. well. Did you take it and, out on dates? Oh, <laughs> it's surprising what the, what, what's what to attract. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you're uh you're growing up you're working on the golf course um you got an atc and then you say you're working into uh into vehicles what was the first vehicle uh so i I consider it like kind of a uh a a tie i was uh gifted our family uh 1980 monte carlo and that was you know my father's like he purchased that car brand new and i believe my aunt had owned it for a while and then my godfather had owned it and then it kind of made the full circle back and i drove it for a little bit 
but um officially the one that i purchased i still call my first car and that was a 76 cj5 304 fiberglass body um four-wheel disc brake or uh, drum brake sorry no power steering and once again i pulled it home and my mom started crying and i, I will <laughs> never forget the words that she said after that uh, i came inside she's like you bought yourself a plastic coffin <laughs> and i was and i was like it was it was poetic i couldn't i couldn't think of anything funny to say or anything like that and i, was like, I felt the general concern and i was like she's probably right <laughs> <laughs> a plastic coffin i was gonna say oh, it was so fast too it, it coming across a fiberglass bodied cj5 as a kid that's you know that oh, that's that amazing was, i was only because we lived in northeast ohio oh because everything so rotted drive away hardware was right down the road they would sell those bodies nonstop because they rotted so quick up here from the salt so i had like one of the originals and it was it you know the the frame was garbage and i had i learned immediately afterwards after buying it, it's like oh i'm gonna have to replace this now too so still own the jeep too wow yeah that's that's pretty good yeah, it's pretty good. I don't have anything that I've previously owned. <laughs> I'm I'm starting to become that guy that um, you thought about as a kid. You know, uh, I had this conversation with somebody else in the industry recently. Like when you're growing up, you see the guy that has all the cars in his driveway and parked in the garage. When the doors open, you see it, and you're like, "Man, that guy, he should really sell it to me. You're just doing nothing with it." And then as you get older, you start to realize you're like, "Oh, I'm becoming that guy." Yeah. <laughs> so do you have any kids in the neighborhood that look at stuff and go, wow, I'd like to have that? I'm not sure if kids are the same these days, but not I hope true. so. Um, you know, I, I, there are definitely, I, so I've got a side-by-side now and I'm, I ride around on that and they definitely gravitate towards that probably more than, you know, even the race Jeep or, you know, some of the other toys that we have. Right. That makes sense. So then yeah. when you went into... Well, let's, let's, let's explore the earlier years. You're, uh, you get the, the Monte Carlo CJ five somewhere in there. Um, and how you were were already driving 16 at that point. Yeah. And I've been driving for like three or four years. Right. But now you're legal. You got the driver's license. Exactly. Yeah. And what did and I get pulled over by the police and ticketed the like within two days after getting my driver's license? Yeah, for street <laughs> racing in the Monte Carlo or the Jeep? No, no, I was in. Of course, I was in my parents' borrowed car at the time. Yeah. Uh, what, so, what was that? Within a month of my, uh, it was it was dumb. It was just kids being kids. We were um, driving stoplight to stoplight next to each other on a four lane strip driving past each other, making goofy faces and, you know, just driving too fast and being kids. And the cop saw us and pulled us over and, and wrote, tried to say we were drag racing. Oh, there <laughs> the you furthest go. thing from the truth. But it, it's a funny story now to look back on it. You know, I thought I was going to get murdered by my family at the, at the time. <laughs> right. I, uh, I had that, a similar situation happen. Me and a, and my, one of my best friends growing up, it was uh, shortly after he got his driver's license, though, and I'd already had mine for about six months. But we yeah. uh, we had met some girls, and he jumped into the girls' car, and some of the girls jumped in with me, and then we're 
driving around and we got stopped at like 11 o'clock at night and then held until after two o'clock. They had us. There's a lot of similarities in that story, <laughs> except we didn't get held till two o'clock. Oh, but, we uh, did. <laughs> the most, like you could have like copy and pasted that into my story because it was very similar and there might've been some, you know, showing off and having too much fun, you know. <laughs> the, the only thing that saved me, um, well, the girls got in a lot of trouble because it was one of the girls' parents' car, and then they got a notice that their car had been ticketed with oh. somebody else driving. And seeing that we had just met them like a half an hour before, it didn't go real well. Oh, no, no, I can see that. <laughs> yeah, they tried to get us for exhibition of speed, and we ended up beating it, but... Yeah, it's a similar thing. You know, you go into court and you talk to your side of the case. And I think, you know, we just got off with court fees. It was nothing big. You know, I think they were just realized it was, you know, boys being boys, if you will. Yeah. Things were a lot easier. I don't, you know, I'm, I know that you're younger than me. You know, this happened to me in the, in the early to mid seventies. Uh, so we could get away with a lot more than, than anybody can get away with now. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> so then, you graduate high school. You said you were senior class president. Yeah, I was senior class president. Um, I was pretty active uh, with uh, a lot of the the classes and things like that. Uh, advanced placement. Um, so I had some college credits going into college. I was accepted to Ohio University and a few other ones, but I chose Athens just because uh, I had some friends that went there and the campus was beautiful. You know, it was three hours away from home, so it was far enough that I couldn't run home if I <laughs> if I got scared. <laughs> so uh made the choice to go down there and uh thankfully you know studied business and came out with a couple degrees in business management sports management recreational management and um yeah it, immediately from there went right into four-wheel drive hardware i was actually uh, interviewing it right before i graduated oh really okay yeah, yeah. four-wheel drive and that and that that is right there they right were, in the same area. Yeah. yeah, like if if people like a lot of folks don't know, like Northeast Ohio is kind of a hotbed for hot rodding and uh, cars in general and off road. You know, Jegs is not too far down the road in uh, Columbus. Um, Four wheel drive hardware was right there in Columbiana, Ohio. Uh, TP Tools, which is you know, like a national tool provider, is uh, right there in uh, Canfield. Um, and you know the big one, uh, Summit Racing, right down the road in Talmadge. Right. So then when you were in college and, uh, was it just all about school or did you, uh, participate in any, uh, any sports then? Oh yeah. I was a uh, vice president of the Ohio university water ski team. If you could believe that rich. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I was, uh, I was the safety uh, captain. I uh, did that. And then a safety captain. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I did some intramural volleyball and I tore my rotator cuff, which is the, the coolest story I can say that I ever did in college. All but, right. Uh, let's hear it. <laughs> No, it's just how 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 tough of a guy you got to be to be uh, the guy that you know does a partial tear on his rotator cuff playing volleyball of all things. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I was on the snowcats, so we did a lot of uh, snow skiing as well, um, and yeah, a little bit of intramural stuff here and there, and then outdoor pursuits. So we would take a lot of kids that never went camping or backpacking or canoeing and um, things like that, and we would take them on trips. So I got to uh, do a practicum in that. Okay, so then were you in scouting at all or just FA? I was growing up, but we I I I don't want to speak negative of scouts. We just didn't have a really good program where I was where okay. I grew up. 
it was more classroom based where I would rather be out doing the, the actual activity. And I think that was why, you know, I didn't really follow through, unfortunately. Okay. Yeah. That's different than where I grew up. It was, we were always out. No, I've seen, I've seen some of the California scouting and I was like, man, I wish we had that. Yeah. I, I think I was nine years old and I went on my first, well, they called it, I got a 50 mile patch, but they didn't have patches, hiking patches, wow. or, you know, for yeah. more than that. I think we went out for like seven days or eight days and did like 10 miles a day. 10 miles so, a day. That's legit for a kid. Yeah. Yeah. And I had to carry my own shit. My dad wasn't going to carry it for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you guys have real hills out there too. Yes. Mountains. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And now we, uh, that same area we wheel in, that's Fordyce area. Oh, is it really? Yeah, yeah, that'd be beautiful to hike. Yeah, absolutely gorgeous. So then in college, you're uh God, it sounds like you did all sorts of sports across there. Um were you in a fraternity or anything like that or No, Athens we had a um we, it was almost like kind of um I don't want to say like a, like people look down at it, but it was it was almost like a joke sometimes with fraternities. It was really good for networking, and I look back and I was like, "Yeah, you should probably have done that." But it was more like um, the joke was, you know, we don't pay for our friends; we uh, pay for our beer. Yeah, you know? there you go. And uh, it was kind of like a us versus them with the uh, the fraternities and sororities. Where, like I said, looking back, I think it probably would have been beneficial career wise, but you know, no regrets. You know, I, I probably had the, the same experience with, uh, club sports and other things that, uh, you could get from that. Right. Okay. And you, uh, you said you're a business major in a, and sports, sports business yeah, or sports, sports as, yeah. So it's a business management, sports management and recreational management were like parallel, um, uh, classes. Okay. So if you looked at the, the, the actual curriculum required for each of them, it was basically exactly the same. So I basically, my last year, talked to my advisor and said, well, if I just take some of these electives over here and some of these from here, I could have the same degree. And he's like, yeah. So I took some canoeing classes and some, you know, sport uh, classes and I, I had bowling for a class and yeah, it got me, uh, got me that canoeing for a class huh yeah it was a pretty awesome class i lost my glasses one time but uh yeah (laughs) you know it's college you gotta learn you gotta figure out uh you gotta figure out the where the fresh air is and i definitely did that on picking classes (laughs) yeah i guess so i did my canoeing i i uh actually taught rowing and canoeing and sailing um through a red cross program and scouting program in san francisco at lake merced that'd be awesome yeah it was except the winds yeah. You get across the lake with the rowboat and then you yeah. have to row back against the wind. It take oh, you like oh, yeah. take you like 20 minutes to get there and like 3 hours to get back. I'm familiar. I, I live on a lake now and with pontoon boats pushing in the wind, I can only imagine what that would try to be like especially on a windy day. Yeah. Bad. Yeah. So then how did you with that background? How did you end up in the four wheel drive industry. I mean, that you're, you're applying for a job, you know, that's, I, I guess it's business management. You were looking at that as a possibility. Um, I was getting out of college. I was terrified, um, because I didn't have any sort of job lined up and, you know, it was like, I, I think it was basically mon- a month before I was graduating. And I was like, I just got to find something for the meantime. 
And I saw that four wheel drive had a uh, sales positions opened up just regular retail phone sales. And I knew enough about Jeeps just from working on my own. You know, I was probably, I was already replacing the frame on my uh, CJ five at that point and rebuilding the motor. Uh, the motor was literally in my bedroom when I left for college and I had to hide <laughs> it from my parents just so that they wouldn't find it and freak out. So like I, I had the knowledge, I knew that wasn't going to be a problem. And I figured having some college experience, I might be able to, you know, parlay that into a bigger role uh, pretty quickly. But I, I wasn't expecting to stay there, to be honest with you. I was, uh, I had a few other things in the works and I thought those would come in, come into play, but um, went down, interviewed, like I said, I think I left college on a Friday, got there uh, midday, did my interview, turned around, drove back and, you know, was accepted, you know, immediately. And a lot of it, you know, for uh, you're basically starting at the ground level. So I won't say it's not hard to get in, but if you have that immediate knowledge of the vehicles, um, it was a good place to start. And if you're willing to work your way up, which at that point, you know, I was a poor, you know, graduate college student at that point. Um, I was willing to do anything to kind of cover, you know, a little bit of the debt and uh, maybe a six pack or, or two here on the weekend, <laughs> or two or three. Yeah, taking <laughs> <laughs> a knife to a gunfight sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> so, how long were you? Um, how long were you at that in that business or that full drive hardware? Yeah. I was uh, I was at full drive for five years, but I wasn't in sales that long. So. Um, I think it was the second month that I was there. I was like number one in sales. So I think, I think I kind of, I caught a foothold pretty quick and and thankfully I I started bouncing around positions there. So after doing that, I started training the, uh, the entire call center. Um, I want to say within a year. So I started training all sales, all technical staff and customer service once I started doing that, I transitioned into doing more um, quality control. So if we had parts that would come in and there was problems, like if a broaching was off when on a, 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 a gear set or something like that, I would go in and do you know an evaluation on it, uh, quarantine the product, check it, make sure if not, send it back and you know get you know resolution via that. And they just kept lumping jobs on you. Like when they realized like, Oh, this guy can carry a few jobs. It was like, Oh, have him run the calls or have him run the showroom as well. So, uh, I started running the showroom on top of doing those two things. And yeah, eventually I, I, I went and worked for a mutual friend of ours in the internet department, Kelly young. So, right. uh, I was doing internet data management, uh, helping build the website, uh, which eventually transformed into a merchandising role, which, it was pretty neat because you were just managing the vendors at that point, which in sales and all that, that's the place where you kind of want to be. You kind of want to have those relationships. So if you have something they have a question about, or, you know, you want to have that immediate contact. So you know what's coming out and what you should be offering. That's the the first line is the merchandiser, the, the person that, you know, controls the line, if you will. And it was after, I think my second KOH trip, that I ran into Dave and Greg out there. They were working the event and they're like, you know, what is this kid from Ohio doing here? And I think I, I, the line I used on them was like, yeah, this is your guy's job, but this is what I do. And it's set. And I think that line, when I joked with them about it, uh, I was basically brought in to do um, new V or new brand management at that point. So any new brand that was going into four wheel parts or four wheel drive hardware, uh, 
for the uh, truck and Jeep side I was in charge of. So, which was pretty neat. So did did Trans own four wheel drive? Yeah, at that yeah. point, okay. They, they yeah they acquired them right before, right right when I was starting. Um, right, I want to say two thousand six. Uh, they they had a, had a basically a couple of gentlemen that were working there full time, working with the sales staff and kind of you know angling them in the direction they wanted us to take and of course it was a crazy time because you know the the housing market was basically collapsing everything was going nuts but you know jeep owners same as harley guys and everything else they were still buying parts you know our business was still strong um you know my my commission checks were were pretty solid so i I had no complaints there okay so that was 2008 9 10 somewhere in there yep okay And here I thought I I knew you earlier than that. I guess not. No. So I think the first time we met was probably, and and meeting it was it was in passing almost. But it was a uh, Dayton, Tennessee, at a rock crawl. I was helping Kelly out with her We Rock team. Okay. Um, for stock class, and that's the first time I met you guys. Okay. But I was I was still you know I was the the guy sitting on the sidelines filming stuff and taking it all in and trying to understand what the heck is going down here on this hilltop in Tennessee. <laughs> that was an awesome event. I'm like, I, I say it every year. I'm like, I want to go back and see that again. Especially <laughs> after hours. We don't do those after matter, hours though. anymore. It, yeah. The after hours were fun and all of that, but like legitimately the competition and everything was in front of you. It was like a, right. uh, you know, you have like a, uh, it was like surround sound off road or surround off-road, if you will, because you just look to the right, and there's a guy flopping over, and there's another guy running this line, and all the courses were filled, and Wes Keen is jumping his uh, rig at the top and blowing up the drive shaft, and you're just like, what the heck am I experiencing here? I think you had two DJs at that point calling different sides of the course, you know, whichever was, you know, drawing the most flavor at the, the moment. Yeah, we still try to give a sensory overload, but it was a lot oh, easier. It was a lot easier back then when you had, you know, thousands of people watching, yeah. and you had, you know, forty, forty, forty-five cars competing. You know, like we do on the West Coast, we had on, used yeah. to have on the East. You know, but yeah, it's yeah, uh, <clears throat> yeah it's pretty wild. Yeah, that was a really good time. It was a really good time. That was at night. You know, lights, everything. So it was a pretty special time. Right. Now we have lights there and we don't have to run generators. We have uh <laughs> we have big LED light poles that uh that the Kazars put in. That is cool. Yeah. So then you're uh at four wheel hardware, correct? Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. the name of the company. Okay. But I was flying I out like twice a month of Compton to to help with uh, merchandising. So I would be going in to do, you know, brand, <clears throat> brand evaluate, new brand evaluations and going to all the truck fests. So I was flying to Hawaii in 2011 when there was a, a tsunami hitting from Japan. Uh, it was, it was, it was the start of the, the whirlwind of, you know, travel and chaos. And what was that like? I mean, you were, you were relatively young then, so you were still what mid twenties. Yeah, and and it's not like today where you just plug in an address on your phone. You know, my first trip to Compton, you know, I'm I'm lost, hundred <laughs> percent, and I'm using MapQuest directions to get me there. And I got off the 405, and I'm going to Compton. I know where I'm going. I'm trying to find the 91, 
and I start passing these, you know, road signs, and they're like, they're showing all these signs I'm looking at. I'm like, oh no, I heard this in a rap song. That's Crenshaw. I don't, I don't want to be on Crenshaw. I don't know. That's that's bad. Let's turn around. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I had to regroup, try to find the four uh, the get up back on the four hundred five, and. Uh, uh, find my way there but yeah it was it was interesting because it, it's not like today you know and somebody else was making my travel plans for me so i would be taking like crazy flights like i took a flight from hawaii to atlanta and it was a red eye and i'm on a plane with a bunch of kids that are going off to basic training in fort bennington and they're all crying and it's like, looking at them I'm like i'll buy you guys alcohol i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it was it was um it, it it was a heck of a learning experience and that's like the sales side of it was so much fun because like Dave, uh the guy that runs merchandising, I I think he still does for full parts, but um his knowledge in um hard parts, uh Dana Spicer was tremendous. But yeah, the the sales side of it was very interesting because you know you're talking to people that you know breathed it and that you know their 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 entire life their you know the financial livelihood was based around their knowledge of the products. So um, Dave, the one guy that I knew from uh, who was running merchandising at that point, I was listening to talk to these uh, Hawaiians and like telling them like he's like oh you know this and he's he's basically a Dana Spicer book in his head. And he was just rattling off numbers, and I was like, I was so impressed. And the more you run into those people in this industry, the more that you find like, okay, this guy gets it, this guy breathes it, this guy eats it, and and you want to, you don't want to say emulate, but like you you understand the the lifeblood of it and the people that you want to be around. You know, it's not just the guy that calls the shots or anything like that. It's the guy that actually knows what he's doing. And there's a reason why he's where he's at. Right, that makes sense. So then how long you, you, you said you were there for five years? I was there for five years. It was a crazy time, but it was a, a good one at the same time. And what was your next step after, after that? That's where we, I think officially met, uh, was uh, JKS manufacturing in Alliance, Nebraska, back when, uh, Jim Nolet, the, uh, the inventor of the quick disconnect, uh, when he owned the, when we still owned the company before he sold it. Okay. And then that was, and, I think. I want to say that we, I don't know if we talked first on the phone or we met at Moab. I I want to say we might have, it was either on the phone or it was in at the Hammers. Okay. Because, or it might have been like one after the other where I, maybe we talked a little bit when we were at the Hammers and I gave you a business card and you called me. Okay. But I was, I was set up there at the Hammers. Um, I want to say it was the same year that I was racing, which is even funnier. Oh, and you were, you were racing at KOH? Yeah, I was racing uh, stock class. So that was my first year racing stock class. Okay. And then after that, you came and raced Dirt Riot. Correct. Okay. Yeah, I had two I had two goes at um, uh, KOH before I realized that you should stop hemorrhaging money and figure this out first. <laughs> 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 I think that was like the, the, the like a lot of the, the first year to the second year to the third year, you see like the they always talk about like people who finish the race and it's like people that come the next year and like the financial side and like the, the heartache of breaking a couple miles in uh, that had to cripple a lot of the people's spirits that were out there, you know, uh, trying to do the, the true every man thing. True. And that's, that's one of the reasons that we, that we built dirt riot. You know, I mean, yeah, I, I looked at it, I actually looked at it. It was the same year that XRA 
stop doing events. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, we're on, we're going on the road full time. We need something to do besides just the nine rock crawls because nine rock crawls yep. is not enough. And so we, uh, we looked at it and said, well, let's start a, you know, I'd already done off road racing with Vora. I'd owned Vora for four years, Valley mm-hmm. Off Road Racing Association. So we said, let's, let's try to pick up where the rock racers are at and go around the country putting on I didn't want to do the same style as XRA because I just heard everybody you know saying oh it was fun but you know I only got to race for two and a half minutes you know and drove yeah 12, it, it, it 12 hours a good show I used to love watching the XRA stuff but it was it was more like a a, a monster truck show you right. know where it was like you're done yeah yeah so we we went for you know, I wanted to do consecutive lap type things, um, and I thought that that would help the guys that were racing or wanted to get into racing to learn how to race. Absolutely. Because everybody thinks they're fast. You know, I mean, y- oh, yeah. you go as fast as you can, and you're fast in your own mind. And then somebody oh, yeah. goes blown by a lot you of money to 30 or 40 <laughs> miles an hour faster, and you go, well, that guy's really fast. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. Like, and that's the first thing you realize is, like, I know how to drive off-road. I know, you know, I've, I've wheeled a lot of places. You know, I've, I've spanked that trail. And then, you know, you, you spend a lot of money, and you realize, like, how much better the car is. And you're like, oh, I'm, I'm invisible. This is going to be easy. And then you see John Curry five fly past you, you know, <laughs> and you feel like you're standing still. Yeah. <laughs> That was a that was a, a fun awakening, but you know the same thing where you know you're watching them pile back up and you're in low range because you have no power. Your four liters clapped out, and you're just happy to be out there. And you're just watching all these big expensive cars on the side of the road, and you count them up with your brother with you know in the car with you. It was a it was a heck of a first showing, but um, I still have the uh, the pride of saying that. And I made it further in the hammers than Robbie Gordon did that year. That year <laughs> is that the year he left. Uh... He left Lance out on the lake yeah, bed. Yeah, that was the year he got choppered out. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, in your two attempts, did you ever finish KOH? Of course not. No. No. I blew up uh, the rear end the second year, a couple miles in, and we. Um, so I had the opposite problem. I think Mel Wade had that year, my first year, uh, where the regulator for the battery was screwed up and it wouldn't keep the battery charged, and we kept running out of battery. Okay. So we limped it past Martell and basically had just enough radio to get a, a somebody out there to tow us back. Wow. Okay. And couldn't figure it out and then ended up scratching our heads on it. And it wasn't until Matt from Solid Axle flew out and was looking at it. And he's like, yeah, your regulator's right or wrong. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Yeah. Ooh. So, yeah. That was an expensive learning experience both times. And that's like I – was, I was pretty close to being like, you know what? Maybe this isn't for us. And then we found Dirt Riot and, uh, you know, that it, you know, for what it costs just to enter um, an Ultra 4 race, we were able to do the entire weekend and have just as much fun, if not more. Actually, we had way more fun. And the the amount of learning just from sitting around your truck and taking in what people are saying and learning what you're doing wrong, um, it, it paid off big time. Paid off really big. Do you think? Do you think that at the dirt riot races that it it helped where, you know, we were all bunched up. I mean, there wasn't as many as like at K, at a KOH, and so that you. It was were, like the early KOH. Like the first time I went to KOH was the uh, the first time Lauren won. 
Okay. And we pulled in in the middle of the night and we're parking next to these guys and we had no idea who they were. Shannon Campbell starts his car up the next morning. We're like, Hey, that's the Campbells. That's cool. And they would, you know, we'd have conversations with them when they'd get back from pre-running. And then Matt, who I just mentioned from solid, uh, he was staying in our camper. So we had like a four person camper with eight people in it <laughs> and rule number one, no number twos. <laughs> <laughs> and he introduced us to the guy next to us. And it was, uh, it was Lauren Healy. And he had, he, and we're all like, yeah, whoever this guy is, I'm going to go over and talk to the Campbells. They're obviously going to win this thing. He's got an IFS car. Come on. <laughs> and Lauren ends up winning that year with, um, Brad coming in second. I believe. And that was just, you know, it was just crazy that, you know, you could be that close to those people. And, you know, Lauren Healy was, you know, an awesome rock crawler back then, but he wasn't the Lauren Healy that he was today. Right. And I think the next year I was hauling parts out for him in my backpack uh, and they're getting lost on the airplane because uh, I, I checked them, unfortunately. And I'm running him out to the uh, lake bed because he had some broken parts. So it was it's just one of those weird things where, you know, scenarios and like you being at this random moment in time that seems pretty insignificant at the moment turns out to be pretty big. Like I was at Danny's garage when Dave came out with EMC. Right. I think you were there that night too. Yes. And I think I, I remember I was uh, talking with Creighton King and one of my friends was like, who's that guy you were yelling at? And I was like, what do you mean? I'm like, I wasn't yelling at anybody. He's like that guy over there. I'm like, oh, that was Creighton. We were just talking. We're, we're loud. You have to be loud at Danny's. Oh, yeah, exactly. Because the volume and, in that place just gets louder and louder and louder as more oh, barley yeah. pops are, are consumed. Exactly. People were drowning on that two, three beer or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> True enough. So then with coming in, starting racing Dirt Riot, I need to ask, mm-hmm. what was what was your funnest race on the races that you did? It's, it's, it's hard to say because Crandon is an experience like no other. Right. Doing like the, the land rush start there, you know, we were finishing up and I remember the first time we were there, like Brad Lovell shows up late. We were finishing up our practice laps and we were getting off the course. And I think you were radioing to me, like get Brad off the course. We don't, you know, we don't have course anymore. And I go over to the official and he's like, oh, that's Brad. Nobody cares. He can do whatever he wants here. And I'm like, I can't argue with that. (laughs) Yeah. Cause he was racing two or yeah. two or lights or yeah. something yeah exactly yeah and uh i was like oh, okay i'll just tell rich no big deal <laughs> but um that and then sturgis um and you know the i don't even know how to say this the ones that suck the most uh, honestly are all, uh, also the ones that i enjoy the most so the capon bridge race where we were up to like three or four in the morning putting the car back together um and just barely making the race didn't have lockers I think we uh, broke a throttle cable, blew out a tire. Um, it was just an awful showing for us. It was probably one of my favorite races. The alternator went out on our box truck on the way home, so I had to stop. And thankfully, the my coworker with me at the time was, you know, still level-headed enough and had enough sleep to to replace it on the side of the road to get us home. But there was always races, and there was always things that popped up like that. You know, the um, the fan going out on us at uh, Sturgis pulling in the pits and having Sean Rance senior come over and like hop on it and like help, help us fix the, uh, the trans cooler fan to make sure that it turned back on so we could finish the race. Um, the, a lot of those things like the, 
the moments where you're sitting there, you're like, this sucks so bad. And you look at, I look back now and I'm like, that was pretty cool. You know, <laughs> it, it is amazing how everybody comes together. Yeah. I was, when we had the flat tire at, uh, Roush or no, it wasn't Roush. It was AOAA. Yep. We, uh, were that before we learned that tire pressure is a big deal when it comes to sliding in the rocks. Um, we had a flat tire. We get into the pits, and before I could even get my seatbelts off, I felt the jack, you know, and the vehicle going up. And they're like, "Stay in the car," and I was like, "This is great." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're pulling off my spare, slapping it on, and you know, slapping the hood and telling us to get out of there. That's awesome. Yeah, and that's some really like the the the, the camaraderie, the people, you know, uh, Tim Diekman, uh, Matt and Kim. Uh, you know, the, some of the East Coasters on those races were so like. Like, like I said, just sitting around talking to you, shooting the crap with them. And I think that's how I learned roundabout that I was running too low of an air pressure was, you know, talking after that race saying, I don't understand what's wrong with these tires. I've never had issues with them. And they're like, well, what's your tire pressure at? They look like they're, you know, barely got tire pressure in them. And I was like, I'm running like you know, 15 pounds. They're like, oh, you should add tire pressure. You're going to slice the sidewalls all day long out here with those, you know? I'm like, well, good to know now. Right. Because so, that's, that's one of the things that... That a lot of guys, we didn't know. I mean, you know, you, yeah. when you were trail wheeling, you always aired down. So, yeah. you know, you go out and, and watch the like desert racers. I felt like 15 PSI was aired up. I'm like, there's yeah. too much air in these tires. <laughs> exactly. And I and I heard people say that, like, you don't want to, you know, mess your sidewalls up. But I figured 15 was enough. And sure enough, you, put, you, you, you if anything, you go up more than you think and then add some more and then you start floating those corners and it slides a lot better. And you're like, okay, there's a, there's a, there is a method to this. And it's like I said, it was one of the things that just sitting around talking to people you take in and how to keep water out of the motor and, you know, the, you know, wear a trash bag and do these things and, you know, rain X on your, uh, your helmet and, uh, you know, the little silly things, you know, extra, extra parts that you should have and what you should be carrying in the car. And yeah, you got too much in there and this is, this is all you need. Don't worry about changing a flat, drive it out. You know, it's not that far and you could, you could limp on it. Uh, it's surprising what you pick up and you learn. So let's talk some of the, uh, the stories, you know, you talked about, you know, being parked next to Lauren and, and, uh, and the Campbells. Um, what yep. other kind of stories do you have any stories from the race day or things that happened that, you know, just were like surreal? I think the the biggest surreal moment was the night in Moab when Dave came out and I thought he was on drugs or something. Cause I'd never seen the guy so excited in his life. I'm like, what is going on? He's like, we're doing a, he's like, we're going to do an every man challenge. We're going to have stock class rigs. We're going to have, you know, modded class rigs. We're going to do this, do that. And like, immediately the uh, uh my reaction to it was holy cow which vehicle am i gonna build and how am i gonna you know how am i gonna pull this off and i almost tore apart like a, a brand new tj that i had to make it happen but i ended up buying kelly's old we rock rig right painting it you know having it painted black and uh throwing our old axles underneath it and just getting it done in time to uh change the transmission out three times before the race but um <laughs> That that was probably that. So when, when it comes to good race stories, that was the big one. I went through I think three transmissions, my first KOH before we even hit the lake bed. Wow! And that wasn't from testing. One fell out. There was a pump. There was a pump issue on another. I overnighted one the week before the race just to get it. Um, 
installed it we get out there and every time we, we turned it on it was just pumping fluid out through the uh, the pump housing so i'm in my buddy's garage in bakersfield uh chris bader uh i can't thank that kid enough to this day uh for letting us take over his garage and basically run amok and once again we're on fumes so i drove from nebraska to bakersfield basically non-stop no sleep uh, picked up my brother in um denver so he could help drive a little bit uh we take the transmission out twice before the race put it back in and both times every time we turned it on it would just pump pump oil pump oil pump oil and eventually we finally got it figured out and you know sealed it up good enough that the pump housing wasn't uh wasn't leaking as much you know get to the as hammers much. get it all unloaded you know and start to do the little things dave camp a good fr- uh, friend of ours uh, shows up starts helping uh bert uh gets out there and you know they're running off to pit one like they're gonna <laughs> i'm like these guys these guys i don't know i hopefully i hopefully we get to see them <laughs> but um yeah getting to the finish line and looking at my brother and just feeling like this immense accomplishment that like we actually made it to this you know we're actually made it to the start line so it's that, the I, adversity that, that, oh 100 percent. and then i remember immediately going into freaking shell shock and saying oh I think the rear lug nuts are loose. And he looks at me, he's like, I know the drive shaft bolts are. <laughs> and that was our plan was to get over, uh, to get over King shock Hill into the other side. So we could tighten some stuff up and then, you know, stop and hide behind the rocks out of the camera oh, view. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it was, and that was, you know, as much fun as that, you know, as fun as to talk about that, the, the, the counting the cars on your way through the desert, you know, at a snail's pace, I think we we might have done 55 miles per hour in the the flattest of sections. That's all that motor really had to give us until we got the uh, the Golan engine in it that it's got now, where we could actually turn some RPMs. But um, that it was so much fun just you know being out there and we're in the middle of nowhere. There's plenty of room around us, and this little blue Toyota comes in back and just smacks the crap out of us. And I'm like, why? And then you look behind you in the rearview mirror, and he's waving at you, and it's like, yeah, he's having a good time too. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> he just wanted to know you that a Toyota had caught a Jeep. Oh, no, he's yeah, exactly. He's like, oh, we're racing. Okay. <laughs> the, <laughs> Rubbing his racing. The funnier part, yeah, the funnier part, and I don't know how many uh, EMC guys you talk to, getting into the rock sections and seeing the chaos unfold in front of you. Granted, like most of these guys, and, and myself included, like, you know, we know rock crawling, you know, I've, most of us have wheeled in a lot of places, but you put that helmet on. And you look at in front of you, and there are just cars flipped over in places. Like, there was a car flipped over in Martell, and I'm like, I don't understand how you do that. How, how do you do that here? And <laughs> it, was the, it, was, it was like, as soon as you get into the rock sections, it was just chaos. And then you get out into the flats, and everybody would drive past us. And then we'd get into the rock sections, and we'd pass them up. And then we'd you know, get out into the flats, and everybody passes pass us up. It was, I think the only thing we had going for us is we didn't have enough power to really screw up. <laughs> but not enough power to finish either. Oh, that was not enough. Yeah, not enough uh, electrical power. Unfortunately, the uh, the, oh, that the, was the, uh, the electricals. Yeah, yeah, that was the that was that year. The second year, we um, I I've never prepped a car better. I, I don't feel like I was more prepared for a race. I had a spare transmission, spare transfer case. I had everything except for spare ring gear. And what do we do? We blow up the ring gear. Wow. It was it was the, uh, the 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 biggest heartbreak ever. I, I like like I said, I I 
I was, um, I forget what racer I was talking to, but he's like, yeah, the car's fully prepped. And he was just sitting in his, he's, you know, he was pre-running the course and something else. And he's like, this car is ready for this race. I'm not going to go out there and pre-run with it. Um, it's turnkey is ready to go. I think it was big ugly racing. And that was my goal that year when we were going out there is to have something that was, that was that ready. So Jim at JKS at the time kind of gave me free reign over the R and D section, you know, bless his heart for letting me do that <laughs> because I was, I was back there every night and just slaving away. I had, you know, spare shafts, spare this, spare that. And it was all stacked up, organized in my little tubs. And I felt like, you know what, we got a real chance at it this year. And, you know, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to do our best to finish it. And the bottle pressure got turned up a too high in the uh, rear locker. And when we came out of the uh, wash right before uh, back door, we heard something pop. And what I didn't realize is the, um, the air B line popped off the, uh, the, the little copper line kind of came un, uh, undone, right? pumped a bunch of CO2 in there, pressurized the entire axle enough that the bellows blew off the axle. And then it just started pushing oil out. So by the time we got through the desert section, I got off the throttle. You just hear the uh, ring gear diving into the differential. Wow. And so did my heart. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. But yeah, it, that was, that was one of the coolest races too, because we found uh, some fresh air on the outside. Like everybody was riding basically on the hard pack. Um, there's a, a center channel uh, and there were nose to tail and it was terrifying because you kept seeing uh, the amber lights in front of you and you had to dodge them. I dodged out the one time and I just saw like, oh, it's wide open air. There was just enough of a breeze that was pushing it west. So I dumped it down into you know second gear, I think, and just held it to the floor. And I just started passing people like crazy. It was you know a rougher section, but I wasn't uh, in the heavy dust. Uh, just didn't know at the time I was you know dumping oil all over the the back of my Jeep. Yes, getting smoke in the rear end. Yeah, sad day. So then, after JKS, where did you uh, where did you land then? Uh, so yeah, Jim uh, ended up selling JKS. Uh, had opportunity to move to uh, uh, Michigan to work for uh, BDS JKS up at that facility. But I grew up in the Northeast. I kind of knew what was going on there, and um, I had an opportunity to go work for Crown Automotive in um, Boston. And I never lived in a big city. You know, uh, Alliance was a town of I believe nine thousand and some change in Nebraska, and the town that I grew up here in Ohio was uh, probably not a little bit. Uh, not too much bigger. So I was like, yeah, heck with it. I'm going to go up here. I'll do uh, marketing for uh, them. It was a uh, marketing sales. So they were just a big enough company that you got to have, wear two hats. So I went up there and helped them with their digital program and got them on track for a lot of things and learned a lot about uh, stock aftermarket replacement parts. Okay. And then you were there, what, a little over a year? I was uh, two years. Two years. Two years. Yeah. Okay. And then, uh, then you went to work for Jeremy after that? Correct. Yeah. Dr- uh, Jeremy at Rockcrawler. Right. Mm-hmm. And then from there, it was, uh, Linux. Linux. And you were yep. with Linux so, for quite a while, weren't you? Five years. Correct. Five years. Okay. Yeah. It was a awesome time. 500 franchises and, um, basically managed their accessory sales for the whole country as well as the, uh, and then eventually just the West Coast. So, I was teaching um, a bunch of guys that did a lot in chemical how to how to sling truck parts. 
Right, because they had their but, they had a a line of uh, of hard parts. Mm-hmm. Yep, but they had some dynamite accessory guys. I can't take any credit away from them. Like I always I always joked. I shouldn't say joked. I always told most of the franchises. All I did was pass the knowledge I learned from the store before them onto them, because there's 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 guys that I look to to this day that if if you're gonna make a business decision, you know. Jim at JKS, I don't think I've met a, a better businessman in my life. Uh, but some of these guys at um, uh, their Linux stores, their local franchises, uh, they really had a lot to offer. And they were just, you know, really good people. And it was, you know, it was a community thing where it was the local guy. Right. Not too many people know, but you're one of them that do, that we looked at buying a, a franchise at Linux. Correct. And yeah. down there, I was so excited for that too. Yeah, me too. I really was at Corpus because I thought, you know, we were going to partner oh, with uh, with Josh Jackson, and yep. uh, I thought, okay, once we get done with the rock crawling, this will be a nice a nice business to step into. Um, don't have to travel as much and everything. And then uh, that was one of the franchise owners that didn't know shit. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, there's, and that's the, the unfortunate thing. You're plagued with that every once in a while through transfers and other things, but it was definitely was a, a good opportunity that unfortunately didn't work out. Right. He, uh, just the reason we didn't get into it was the, uh, they had, lo- they had signed, they had told the, the building owner that they were leasing from, they got, they canceled their lease thinking that <laughs> once they sold the business that, whoever they sold the business to could step in and re redo the lease. Yeah. And, uh, that was incorrect. The guy wanted at that point for us to buy the, the building at an astronomically high price for a beat up piece of property. Yep. And, uh, yeah. So I remember going through the building. Yeah. Yeah. That was too bad. He was the one guy in Texas selling a lot of undercoat though, just because of how much salt's down there. And, uh, the golf carts, I think, on the local golf courses were uh, using a lot of it. It was a interesting, uh, interesting setup. Yeah, they they did do a lot of undercoat, um, and yeah, yeah, it there was a lot of problems with that franchise. But we were going to get it for a steal anyway. But not without a building, it didn't make any sense. So no, no, absolutely. And then we decided we didn't want to uh, we didn't want to try trade time for a paycheck again. Yeah. yeah. Plus, you got a boat. You got to take advantage of that. Yeah, the boat. The boat's changed our life. <laughs> it, it does. It's. I think it's the old Thoreau line. It's well to have water in your neighborhood. Yes. Yes, it's true. So, you're uh, you're now at Summit. Correct. Summit Racing. Yep. And uh, are you? Is that something that you can work from home or do you go into an office? Um, primarily I do work from home. So okay. with uh, COVID, it's still um it's still a privately owned company. So once again, you're in that heavy enthusiast uh base of people. Um they wanted to make sure that the staff felt, you know, safe, felt um uh like their health wasn't being subjected to anything that they, you know, weren't comfortable with. So they allowed uh, the majority of the staff that worked uh, phones or uh, in the office to work from home. Well, that must be nice. It's very nice. It's um, it's a change of pace from uh, Linux, where three quarters of the time, you know, I'm 
trying to get 70,000 miles uh, on my corporate truck a year, plus rental cars and flights and everything else. Yeah, because yeah, it made it rough for that must that must have made it rough on a on a personal level. Um, always being gone from your base. Yes and no. So I, I think there's a, a want and a willingness to travel and everybody. And for me, um, I look so much forward to, to seeing other people out on the road like yourself, like all of my friends from the water ski team in college. Uh, they would get regular visits from me. Like it, it, I wouldn't fly home on the weekends like a lot of other folks. It would just be, you know, it's going to cost as much for me to get two tickets to fly there, fly back. Then it would be for me to get a hotel for two more nights. So I would just stay wherever I was at, meet up from meet up with uh, some friends, or you know drive over to Baghdad, Arizona, and see one of the coolest races I've ever seen. When you guys uh, had that uh, rainy uh, event there with Dirt Riot, um, or even the Congress uh, event where there was wet and people were getting stuck in mud. I think Jeremy uh, had to get uh, craned out because he uh, hit the deep end uh, back there that year. Yep. But yeah, I, I took advantage of. You know, keeping up with a lot of folks that I knew from the industry that I I knew from college and, uh, you know, just friends. So you had you you've always had that kind of wonder lust for travel as well to keep moving. And even now I'm building an expedition rig that, you know, is going to double as my daily driver and, you know, might even tow the Jeep around a little bit if uh, if I feel like it can do it. Nice. Yeah, I've I've or to say jeeps because you know once you have one you got to have all of them. True. <laughs> True. Or the UTV. Or the UTV. Yeah. What what I found or the boat, is, you yeah, know, all boat. <laughs> yeah. I I've always been. I don't know if you call it restless, but I I I love to keep moving. Oh yeah, and there's something that chasing that white line and like making another mile and getting to where you want to go and exploring and you know some of the trips you know nobody else would do them just because time and i was like that's the one thing that i'm going to take the most advantage for just so i could actually experience it and i'm not going to drive what is it the 91 down through uh california or the or whatever i'm gonna you know i'm gonna take the pacific coast highway or if i'm gonna be in oregon i'm gonna i'm definitely gonna drive the coast i'm gonna go from coos bay all the way up to uh astoria Right, you know, and a lot of other folks would just stay on the five. True, that's what we try to do when we travel. Yeah, you know, in the semi truck, we can't, we can't do that as much. Um, no, what but, is the craziest road you've driven in that thing? Have you taken it across the million dollar highway yet? Which is the million dollar highway? Uh, it's from Silverton, Colorado, through Ure. Um, it's gnarly. I, if if you did, like I. I believe, I believe the, I believe I've, I've been on that, um, in the semi truck, but I think that there's an, a one that we going from going, going North to Goldendale, Washington, we were in the semi truck and I said, you know what, there's a road across here. That's going to save us a lot of time. (laughs) And I start cutting across, you know, from interstate to interstate. We're just going to cut across through this mountain range. And we drove like 50, 60 miles. And then there's this sign that says, you know, 28-foot kingpin to rear axle. What? No. Something like that. And I'm like, yeah. oh, shit. 
<laughs> and I'm like, well, we're not too much farther longer than that. <clears throat> yeah. So we uh, luckily we didn't have any traffic coming the other way on any of the turns, but we made it. And then uh, yeah. and then I decided to drive it going the other direction too, because it did save a See, lot of time. That's yeah, that's the champion right there. <laughs> One, I think about all, all the times driving you know, like the toters and things like that, and to to flash to think of what you've done with yours, like getting lost at X Cal Expo, you know, doing a uh, uh, an event there, and you know, having to back up, or you know, you're driving into LA to do this, and you have to park here and all that. I'm like, this is this normal life for Big Rich, and I have no idea how he actually pulls it off. We were <laughs> we were coming through Tucson. Or going to the Tucson event site or something, and it was late at night, and we were trying to find a restaurant, and I turned – the restaurant was actually on the frontage road, and I went past the frontage road, and Shelly's like, oh, you got this. Just keep going. <laughs> and then I see this, like, 15% grade sign, and I'm like, where in the hell in Tucson Wait. is there a downhill 15% grade? Yeah. So I stopped just before the hill, and there's a like a school. This is in the dark, right? There's a school. Oh yeah. And there's a something else on the other side, and there's a bunch of poles and road markers and signs and everything. And somehow I pulled a Yui, getting through, going off the road, back across the road, off the road, through all these signs. And then headed back out to the highway without hitting a damn thing. That's impressive. And I, were you down by the college then, or no? We were we were south of Tucson, and okay, I don't remember which exit it is. There was a steak restaurant there that that we we missed. Um, like I said, the frontage <laughs> road, and it yeah. was taking us down. And it wasn't. I mean, I drove it later on in the daylight, and I was like, oh man, I could have easily have done this because it was only. Yeah you know, a quarter of a mile long. I mean, I could have coasted it, not hit, you know, been. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a lot of industry guys stories or even off-road guys stories where you get lost and, you know, you're pivoting your trailer around a telephone pole or why is the scratch here? It's like, Oh, I got a story for you. And I had one of those, uh, I was doing a, I took a Jeep down to Quadratech and they have those rounded old school, uh, overpasses. And, if you're in a box truck or a big truck like yours, you can't fit two vehicles through there without scraping something. And of course I hit the front edge and the leading edge on the box truck. And it felt like I ripped the whole box off of it. Oh shit. Uh, but it was only like, it was only like a, a foot of damage, but still it was <laughs> enough to scare the crap out of you. <laughs> so we, uh, I would say that the next, there was a time I was in Cortez and I was trying to make – I was going to Randy Rod's, the transmission shop, before they had the new shops. Sure. And I was on the main road going through Cortez and had to make a right-hand turn to get down to where Randy's shop was at. And I start – I'm trying to take the lane next to me as well. And okay. I make the turn, and somebody's in the turn lane coming out of that street – and I look in the rearview mirror thinking, okay, I'm going to make this. And I realize that my trailer is up against the aluminum <laughs> light pole. I mean, it, or it's yep. that close enough to where I think oh, yeah. it's up against it. So I stopped 
I just sat there while the lights changed. I backed up when because people, you know, went around me. Sure. Backed up, took more of the lane of you know. I took all the all the traffic lanes, and then people did not go into that left hand turn lane on the street that I was going into, and I could make the turn. But at yeah. times like that, when you're in a semi truck, it's just like I don't care who I'm. Oh, who I'm it doesn't, you don't even make it mad. It doesn't affect anything. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I've accidentally backed into my ZJ with my box truck, and I was like, "Well, that's weird. Why is it chugging out? It doesn't it usually doesn't have a problem backing up to some of you know. I wasn't hitting the throttle. I was just letting it idle backwards, and it was at night. And then I look in my mirror and I see my ZJ going sideways. And I'm like, "Oh, that's my Jeep, and I'm pushing it. That's why." <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, it wasn't that expensive, and I fixed it pretty easy. But yeah, it's, when you're in a big truck, it's you know what you got to work around me at this point. Yeah, you just you just never know. And I mean, there's been so many instances like that. That uh, well, going into uh, in West Virginia, going to that race in Cape Horn Bridge. Yeah, that was a fun one. Chaos yeah. Park, I think they called it. Okay, yeah, I was parked in around behind the guy's house and the shop area. And while it only took me like five minutes to drive into it to get out of that spot, it took me like an hour and a half. It's a wonder how you and Shelly are still married with some of us. Oh, she just sit in the back and she's like, just do what you got to do. Rick." She'll go, she'll go, how can I help? And I say, don't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> don't make any gasping sounds. Just close your eyes and put on your pods. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We were going through, I want to say it was Arkansas. <clears throat> Of course, I could be wrong with that, and we. Uh, I needed to. I wanted to pull off because there was a restaurant and there was a donut shop that was closed. And I thought, okay, I'll just pull in here and then I'll swing around the building to get out. Well, there was no swinging around the building because there was no around the building. Yet. Oh no, there was. Oh, but what they had done is they had put the garbage dumpsters. Oh, back there. And they keep people from doing what you're doing, yeah. And so I couldn't even, I got out to try to even move those, but they were sitting on the dirt and they were too full. And so yeah. they were like kind of sunk down into the dirt. And I could not get that thing negotiated forward or backwards at the point that I was at. And people came out from their house next door <laughs> and were sitting on lawn chairs watching me for like 45 minutes. We do that at the boat ramp uh, yeah. down by my house. We have a boat launch, like, I don't know, like a driver four iron away from my house. And you could hear it some days where people like, there's marriages ending right after they <laughs> bought that boat. <laughs> and I remember just going, okay, you know, to hell with this. And I just, I, I just backed it up off the curb, over the curb stops, out into the street. <laughs> you know, I just like to hell with it. I don't care if anybody's coming. I can't see. I'm just backing up and getting out of here and did. Yep. And then went on down the road and found a better place to park. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. It really is. So yeah. what, uh, what else, uh, what's in the future? Well, hopefully we'll get back racing now that uh, this COVID craziness is uh, subsiding and you're starting to travel a little bit more without masks. Um, Thankfully, I have a good friend that uh, has a cabin up in Alaska, so I've been helping him with that. Um, so I'm going back up uh, in a few weeks to spend 10 more days up there. 
work on the cabin, uh, explore around up there, hopefully do some overlanding in the future and uh, get the boat on, on the Denali River and kind of see what we can't find that route as well. So I, I'm, I'm starting to appreciate and understand more about, uh, I don't know, I'm starting to heed my own wisdom, I guess you would say. But um, every time that somebody asks me about getting into off-road racing and things like that, the, the, the things that I tell people are more of the things that I'm doing now. So do what still makes you happy. And if it, you know, if it makes you, you know, if, if you're starting to get frustrated or, you know, you feel like it's just not working your way, you got to evaluate and figure out, you know, is the, is the, you know, the, the juice worth the squeeze. So, uh, we'll probably do more local events. I'm going to keep a couple bucket list races, uh, on my schedule and hopefully do them one day. You know, I want to do the mint. I would love to race, you know, uh, Mexico one day. If I could, if I could race Mexico before I die, um, that I'll be a happy boy. Um, and then do some more of those, uh, you know, go back up to Crandon, you know, race up there again. And, you know, now that I'm working for summit, it's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm surrounded by guys that just dwarf me in motor knowledge. So, I'm going to build some pretty stupid rigs here in the future. Sweet. Yeah. That sounds awesome. And uh, yeah. what part of, where, where is he at in Alaska? Uh, he's north of Fairbanks. So we're um, uh, central Alaska. It's real close to the Circle Hot Springs Resort. Okay. Um, yeah, it's, you're basically 30 miles away from the Arctic Circle. Wow. Uh, it's amazing. And and for anybody listening, don't go to Alaska. It's awful. <laughs> what everybody says and just leave it to us because it's it, no i'm just kidding it's it's beautiful everybody should experience it and outside of you know a little anchorage as they call it um you should experience the the less seen parts you know it, it's completely opposite of what you think and it's a beautiful opposite yeah i've only been on the kenai peninsula well well kenai peninsula and anchorage we flew yep. in when when uh my son lived there in Kenai and we flew mm-hmm. to Anchorage and then did the road down to there and all the, all of the, all of the things to do oh, yeah. between Homer and, and Anchorage. But I do want to do the rest. Yeah. I want to do it in they the have winter. A, they have a new portion of the, uh, the, the one, I think it's, uh, there's two roads that go north, um, and I'm, they're they're both evading my memory right now, but I want to do the one that's going all the way up. So they like extended it a, a couple of years back. So uh, we're planning on driving up. I think maybe later this summer with one of the vehicles with a bunch of materials. Uh, we're dropping off a diesel truck up there, and I'm excited to do that. And who knows, I might be able to talk him into uh, going up a little bit further. Cool. So you uh, yeah. you said you 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 might get into some overlanding or exploring. What kind of vehicle? Yeah, I- uh, I actually did a little bit when I was in Nebraska. I was building out a uh, Jeep Liberty okay. <laughs> of all vehicles. But uh, no, I got a little uh, uh, 2000 uh, Chevrolet, or not Chevrolet, GMC uh, 1500 uh, Sierra. Okay. So just going to do a simple rack assembly, uh, soft rolling cover on it, uh, airbags. Uh, I work for, you know, the best place to get parts. So I'll be uh, tuning it up and making sure that it's ready for another 140,000 miles or whatever it's got on it now. So do you go through the catalog and then put post-it notes on it, on the pages oh, on, with all the stuff? I'm I'm uh, I'm new age these days. I keep it in a – I got a spreadsheet. A spreadsheet. <laughs> oh, a spreadsheet. No. I've got a – I've created I hate a spreadsheets. That's I, Shelly's thing. 
<laughs> after racing, you realize that spreadsheets are your friend. And like I said, that that's the one thing I get to telling everybody. I'm like, you start a budget and then you multiply that by four and then you add and then you double it. And then maybe that's how much you're going to spend <laughs> and don't skimp on the safety stuff. And True. that's that, you know, that that was the one big thing. And the one thing I use Summit most for was um a lot of the safety and a lot of the plumbing stuff because we're doing it all last minute, you know, and thankfully we got our parts within like two days, no matter what we were ordering. And I was like, you know what? These guys are all right. <laughs> And so the, when the opportunity came to go to work there? Yeah. It only took three tries, I think. So I was trying to get a job there straight out of college, just like I was at four-wheel drive. And a few years back, I had an opportunity to potentially work there. And somehow it didn't work out, unfortunately. But uh, this last time, I guess my resume was up to snuff enough that nah, they, uh, you they know gave what me it a was? glance. It was my like, reference. Oh. Yeah, oh, yeah. It's when they called <laughs> me and asked me for, for a reference on you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I told well, him I straight up it. if I if I had a position for you and could afford you you'd be working for me. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. You know, you don't have to lie for me. It's all right, Rick. <laughs> <laughs> no worries, yeah. no worries. No. It, like I said, it was it's one of those things that I grew up 20 minutes away from this place and you never realize how big of a I don't want to say big, but how awesome of an organization is sitting in your backyard the whole time. Like you go into the showroom and you're just mystified by, you know, you got race cars on the ceiling and every single piece of candy that, you know, uh, the, the motorhead wants sitting out in front of you. And yeah, it, it took me what was it, 16, 17 years in this industry to make a full circle, come back and work at the one place that I wanted to start working at initially. Nice. Nice. Yeah. And you, uh, you see that as your, uh, hopefully your final resting place or what? Oh, absolutely. There it's, it's very similar to the job that I was doing when I left trans American where, you know, you're, you're really in control of the truck and HD market and diesel market. So I get to do a lot of things that, you know, directly reflect, you know, the sales and the future of the you know, products and the offerings and, you know, all the things that, you know, I circled in that catalog growing up are now the things that I'll be bringing into the company and hopefully, you know, uh, creating a lot more success with. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Well, Tom, is there any other stories that you can think of that, uh, that you want to share with us? I just feel like we should be on bar stools when we have this conversation. I always say around the campfire. I can't. Yeah. But like, I, I can't imagine how many people, when they get off the phone with you are like, man, I wish we were drinking beers right now. Cause it, it, it was, a, it was a fun memory lane. And like the things that we left out, like the other, like there's, I, I feel like I could talk to you for a week about some of these stories, you know, being, you know, Roush Creek, my, you know, my friend got to drive around Shannon Campbell to, uh, to pre-run the course with because it was raining and he didn't want to get his car dirty. You know, and there's like all these other things, like they're just popping into my brain right now. And I'm just like, no, nah, maybe another time, but uh, maybe maybe that time will be at a, you know, around a campfire, like you say. But uh, you know, I'll, I'll keep doing the photography side and showing up to events and seeing you and Shelly out there and keeping track of it that way. And hopefully, we'll drag around the uh, the truck and trailer at the same time and do a couple of them. I still want to do an East Coast rock crawl. I still haven't done one. I always say that I want to, but. Uh, who knows? Maybe this year is uh, my year. Uh, well, look at the schedule know. and come on down to Tennessee. I want to. That's that's the one. 
Yeah, that would be the one. I got to figure out, I, I don't I got to talk to some of my friends in the We Rock world and figure out how I can make my Jeep a little bit better for that. There I think we're a little too uh I think we're a little too big for it. Uh we'll have to lower down and get that uh, center of gravity a little bit lower. Tuck them in a little bit. Yep. Yep. But no, I I appreciate it. I I I I enjoyed these podcasts uh driving the last uh, couple of years and traveling and listening to them and never thought that I would be invited on here to uh to share the experience. Well, you know, we all have we all have one thing in common and that's the love of 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 the off-road industry. And yeah. and we all like Shelly. She's pretty awesome. Yep, that's true. That's true. <laughs> she is very awesome. I should have listened to her years ago when she said, you need to do a podcast. Oh, hundred percent. Like I was going through the list of people and like every time I'm like, wow, that like, why not like Rod Hall's granddaughter. I'm like, "Eh, that'd be pretty awesome to have that conversation or, you know, this person or this person is like every single one you're going through and you're like, yeah, I get it. And it's, it's, it's interesting because I've got so many names on my list and every, every week somebody sends me, you know, I'll get three or four recommendations to add to the list. And then I try to call people and everybody wants to do it, but it's having, finding that time or, well, I got something in the works I'd really love to talk about, but I'm, so I'm going to need a month, you know, that kind of thing. And so it just, it keeps going. And, uh, you know, I always look for, you know, not just the big power names that everybody knows. Um, and some of those guys that, that had the big power names, don't really want to be on. I mean, I've only really? had a couple that say, you know, had a couple that said, you know, it, it I had one guy say, no, I don't want to be on it. Another one said, no, Rich, I'm, I'm out of the industry now. I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just, I don't want to share that part of my life. And I'm like, okay, wow. fair enough. And another guy, yeah. you know, oh no, let, let my friend do it because he, uh, you know, he talks better than I do and, and, you know, it's, uh, I don't know, you know, what to say and all that kind of stuff. And I think we make it pretty easy, but, yeah. and then there's others, you know, it's like, I don't know, maybe I tell, I'd, I'd want to tell my truth too much and I'd hurt too many people's feelings. And so yeah, I can understand I can that. that, you know, and, uh, I can see you know, so that there's, there's some that people are going to go say, why haven't you had him on yet? Well, there's four possibilities there where one of those guys that you're wondering about somebody might be wondering about is under that yeah so, chances are they just haven't made it on yet right <laughs> chances are yeah. but i have a long there's list so many, there's so many great people like i i've got to interact with so many and the, the the randoms that you run into when you're out there you know at events or you know competitions or just you know even sema like never would i thought like oh i get to meet dan henderson the ultimate fighter guy uh, on the trails in Moab, you right. know, the, the, yep. there's random occurrences of people that like also enjoy, you know, something I get to do for a career. You know, I always said that, you know, there's two really, uh, two really important things when you do a career that you love. Um, there's two important phrases. One is if you uh, enjoy what you do, you never have to work a day in your life, which, which is true. But the other one is you got to separate work and play. True. So even even if work does seem like play at times, um, you know, a dream sometimes could turn out to a night can be a, a nightmare. And thankfully, 
I've been able to do that well enough that, you know, the business is still the business side and uh, the fun side is still fun. Perfect. That's a great place to end this. Oh, I like that. It's a nice segue. Thank you. Well, Tom, thank you so much for coming on and spending uh, the afternoon with us after work there and, uh, and discussing your life and off-road. I know that we'll run into each other more in the future. And, oh, absolutely. Uh, we'll you guys are sure. stuck with me. I'm going to keep popping into your lives. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. All right. Thank you, buddy. Thank you. All right. Take care. Thank you for listening to Conversations with Big Rich. Please let your friends know about this podcast. Let us know what you think of Conversations with Big Rich. Please forward ideas to me, contacts of those that I should in- attempt to interview, leave a rating on any of the services you found us on. We look forward to your comments and ideas. Enjoying life is a must. Follow your dreams and grab all the gusto you can.